From WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR, this is Capital Notes, a podcast about Wisconsin politics and politicians. I'm Marty Michelson. Each week, I discuss noteworthy developments with J.R. Ross, editor of WISPolitics.com. Here's our latest conversation. So, J.R., last week, Kimberly Clark gave the state Senate an ultimatum, come back to the Capitol and pass a $100 million incentives package by September 30th, or else the company is going to close at least one of its plants in the Fox Valley. The Assembly passed the incentives in February, but the bill stalled in the Senate because there wasn't enough Republican support. Governor Walker told reporters last week that he would work to get the 17 votes that are needed to pass, but he may need some help from Democrats as well. What do you think the chances are of garnering the 17 votes and the Senate coming back into session in the next two weeks? Republicans have an 1850 majority in the Senate. Already, Chris Capping of Delafield said that he was not going to support the bill. So that drops Republicans down to 17, which is what you need to pass it. Steve Noss, a Republican from Whitewater, his office told me late last week that he's a no. That's one more Republican down. That means you have, at maximum, you have 16 Republican votes. That's if you get everybody else and you get at least one Democrat then to pass it. And in talking to folks, they don't see that path right now because beyond those two Republicans said no, there are other Republicans who have concerns about things like the precedent this sets because this would be a much more expansive package for retaining jobs than what, say, Wisconsin typically gives out. There are concerns about you know what that would mean the next time you know, pick your iconic Wisconsin manufacturer has a tough time and does layoffs like a Harley-Davidson and Johnson Controls, you know, going down the list. Would the state then be obligated to do something for them as well that's similar to this? And then three, you know, we're in a time of relative low unemployment. There's an argument that, you know, government should stay out of these kinds of things and that if this happens, if, if Kelly Clark is going to shut down this plant, then there are opportunities for those workers to go find a job elsewhere because there's such a demand for workers right now. Now, the flip side is obviously if you leave Kimberly Clark after 15, 20 years, you're losing your seniority, losing your routine, all these other kinds of things. And two, it's not just Kimberly Clark. There are suppliers around the state who would be impacted by those plants closing. So there are a lot of factors at play in that. But as we sit here right now, I'm not getting the impression there's a big rush on the part of lawmakers to come back and pass this bill before September 30th. In another development, the rhetoric between Governor Walker and his Democratic challenger Tony Evers took a bitter turn last week. Walker launched a new campaign ad saying that Evers would, quote, put everyone at risk with his plan to reduce the state's prison population. The Evers campaign fired back by accusing Walker of resorting to, quote, disgusting scare tactics. This ended up being quite the dust-up, with a lot of barbs being traded back and forth. What do you make of this, and do you think the hammering is going to get worse? Well, you know, part of what's going on is is it's kind of politics 101. If you're an incumbent who's well-known and has high name ID, and your numbers aren't that great, you can either spend money to try and raise your numbers or tear down the other person's. You know, Scott Walker has very high name ID in Wisconsin from running for governor in 10, having a recall in 12, getting re-election in 2014, running for president briefly in 15. I mean, there aren't many people who are undecided about Scott Walker as a person or his policies. Tony Evers, though, he's still kind of getting known to some voters in Wisconsin. So the Walker campaign is trying very hard to disqualify him for especially uh, independent swing voters. 
Some new campaign finance numbers came out last week with Tony Evers saying he's raised $2.5 million in the month since the August 14th primary. Is this an impressive number, and how does it compare to Governor Walker's war chest? We haven't seen Walker's fundraising of the same period yet. It is a significant uptick for Evers in terms of what he'd been raising pre-primary. It's a sign that Democrats are kind of coalescing around him in terms of donors because there was an eight-person field that they had to choose from ahead of the primary, and that really kind of had some people holding back. But still, you know, Walker's had a significant financial edge on the Dem field the entire time. Um, I'm not expecting that to go away anytime soon. So it's, you know, a good number for Evers to have that kind of uptick, but it's not quite in Scott Walker territory yet in terms of what resources he has as disposal for the final six or seven weeks of this race. In another race we've been watching, Attorney General Brad Schimmel says more than 4,100 untested sexual assault evidence kits dating back to the 1980s in Wisconsin have finally been tested. Democratic challenger Josh Call has been criticizing Schimmel for taking too long to finish the testing. Would this have been a big issue in the campaign? And now that the testing is done, can Schimmel tout this as an accomplishment? Well, he's going to try very hard to tell as an accomplishment. The Democrats are going to counter that, you know, Schimmel's been in office for almost four years now. In the first couple of years, they didn't really make many moves to address the backlog. It was only an election year that he targeted these 4,100 kits to, you know, be uh, taken care of. So the attacks are still going to come. The question for Brad Schimmel has been, can he carve out a unique uh, impression with voters or reputation with them before the election that is separate from the generic GOP ballot. Because what we're seeing in national polls right now is that Democrats have a significant edge in that generic ballot about who people favor. Um, now, it's a national polls that I've been seeing about that. We'll get a new Marquette poll out on Tuesday about what's happening here. But for Schimmel, if there is a, a Democratic wave of some sort, he has to give voters a reason, again, if there is a wave, to vote for him despite their tendency right now toward the Democrats. So that's what he's trying to do. Um, and every day that Brad Schimmel's up on the air and the Republican Attorney General's Association is doing spots for him that Josh Call is not, his Democratic opponent, that's good for Schimmel. But those attacks will come. The question about those are going to be, when do they come and do they get lost in the shuffle? Because don't forget, there's a, a governor's race we're looking at. There's a U.S. Senate race. We're going to see, you know, other races for Congress and the legislature that might be up on the TV way. So it, it's going to get crowded at some point. You know, when the Dems do start attacking Call or uh, sorry, Schimmel, will those ads break through in the environment that we're looking at? And finally, Democratic Congressman Mark Pocan of Dane County was one of the first members of Congress to mention more than a year ago the possibility of impeaching President Trump. Then last week, Pocan downplayed impeachment when asked about it at a news conference. He says it's a quote moot conversation in many ways because right now impeachment is impossible in a reference to the fact that Republicans control both houses of Congress. Why do you think he backed off the impeachment talk? Well, you know, some Democrats are trying to downplay that to focus on other things. I mean, it is clear that if Democrats win the House in November, they will take over these committees and they will become, you know, a royal pain for Donald Trump because they'll be investigating. Like, they'll use that oversight authority to investigate a string of things going on with the White House, with Donald Trump's administration. So there's that piece. But some Democrats don't want to talk about impeachment. They think it's a, a step too far right now. And then the reality, too, is, you know, if even if you impeach Donald Trump in the House, you have to get two-thirds vote in the Senate, and there's not really a, looking like a way to do that just yet. Now, 
we'll see what comes next, if anything. But the reality is, even if, even if there was a, he's impeached by the House, the Senate looks like it isn't going to go anywhere anytime soon, that Dems have enough support to remove him from office. So, you know, they want to keep the, the, the pressure on Donald Trump. I don't they want to spend the next six weeks or so talking about impeachment because they're afraid that it could inflame certain voters or turn off some moderate voters about what would happen if Dems took control of the House. That's WISPolitics.com editor J.R. Ross. You can join us each week for our conversations. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to Capital Notes on iTunes, NPR One, or wherever you get your podcasts.